Hey everybody, Scott Burnside here and joined as always by Pierre Lebrun, another edition of Two Man Advantage, the podcast, and a great treat today joining us in the first segment, Carolina Hurricanes owner Tom Dundon. And Tom, now I do you always have to add your new title as long as as well as the owner of the Carolina Hurricanes, now the chairman of the new Alliance of American Football? Did you have a card like already made up for that or do you have to do you always call yourself that now? I I never have, but I can start. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're going to have to get some new business cards made up. So thank you for joining us. And uh, oddly enough, I'm actually in Raleigh as we're taping this podcast and uh, been a a pretty exciting time here for the uh, Carolina Hurricanes and a team that is looking to end a playoff drought that began in 2010. And I, I wonder what it's been like for you. You know, you're just past the first anniversary of owning the team. And, and now it looks like uh, you may get your first taste of NHL playoff uh, action in the next three or four weeks. And I wonder what it's been like for you. Yeah. I mean, obviously hope so, but it's, it's nerve wracking for sure, but it's, it's a lot of fun. Right. So I'm, I'm, uh, I wish I could fast forward a couple of weeks and know the outcomes. I, I, I was going to say, Tom, I, I, I thought you might hang up when Scott already put you in the playoffs. Talk about the kiss of death, uh, Scotty. Way to go, buddy. Uh, I, didn't say, it's like, I didn't say it was guaranteed. I, and it's not like talking about a shutout or a no-hitter, right? I mean, I, right. I look at the map. Well, well, I think you're okay since I don't play, right? So I, I really don't have anything to do with it. So they're going to do what they're going to do. So what we say, if what we say matters, something's wrong. Now, now, uh, Scotty did mention, uh, um, you know, you, you're in your second season uh, of owning the team. And, you know, I remember meeting you uh, two years ago at the Board of Governors meetings when the tentative agreement was put in place, Tom, and and this was all new for you. I mean, obviously, you've uh, you've been looking over a whole bunch of other businesses and in, in, in your own personal business life, but hockey was new. And I'm wondering what you feel like you've been able to bring over in terms of business practices that have served you well so far, but also what's been new in terms of the hockey world and, you know, things that you've had to adjust to uh, since you've become owner. I mean, I think the biggest adjustment is I can't affect the outcome in the same way that, you know, and the rest of the world, you go do it yourself. You know, you try to get someone to do it. If they can't do it, you can do it yourself where we're here, you know, it's about the players and the coaches and, you know, you just, try to give them as much support as we can give them and, you know, try to create the thing that's similar is you just got to create a culture, right. Where a lot's expected, but everyone knows you care about them and you're going to help them, you know, get the most out of their talent. And that's probably the best thing that we've been able to accomplish so far. Are you, you talk, and it's funny, since I've been here, that, that topic has come up a, a lot, and whether it's in conversation with Rod Brindamore, your head coach, or whether it's Justin Williams, your captain, but the, this discussion about the culture, and and to a man, the, there is a belief that it is different here this year, and I, you know, sometimes, I mean, teams aspire to that all the time, and I think when you don't have success, you, you teams talk about it all the time, and I wonder, is there is there anything you can put your finger on why it's been able to happen uh, and really in a relatively short period of time since Rod took over as head coach, why the culture is different here this year. Yeah. You know, I think there's obviously like everything, there's always a lot of reasons hard to, hard to, it's probably no one thing. It's not, it's, it's not, it's no fault of anyone in the past. And I, I, I don't know that you can be sure that we could do this again. Right. But 
think Rod and I have a pretty similar philosophy and probably Justin as well about how you, there's different ways to treat people and there's, there's not a right or wrong way, but we, we probably share a similar philosophy and in how to go about things. And, you know, the fact that, you know, Rod is so good at it and Justin's so good at it. Um, you know, I can, I can have an opinion or a thought process about what it, what it should look like, but they're the ones there every day. And, and we, we were fortunate, right. We, we found the right mix of people that, that, you know, had some success and it kind of built on itself. And now, now it, it's, it looks like what you wanted it to look like, but you know, there was no guarantees that we would get here in, in terms of the, the culture of the group, but I'm pretty proud of, of what they've done. And, and Tom, from looking from the outside in, from my perspective, I'm based in Toronto and I can tell you that, you know, we find ourselves mentioning the hurricanes more often than we have in a number of years in a lot of our hockey discussions uh, from a national perspective. And, and, you know, you know, you know, maybe you have Don Cherry to thank for that partly, but, uh, but certainly I, I would think, you know, that you guys have created a buzz, you know, I mean, the, the brand is, is different, uh, you know, for whatever reason this year, can you sort of touch on why you think that is happening? Sure. I mean, I think look the first, the first meeting I had with all the players right after I bought the team, which was about a year ago was, and probably maybe the only one I've ever had with the whole group was, you know, if we're being honest, this brand isn't something within the hockey world that is talked about a lot or, you know, generates a lot of pride relative to other brands and we're going to change it, right? That, that I know is that that's, we're going to change that. You're going to be proud. Uh, we'll make this something that people aspire to within hockey and there'll be things we can do from management perspective, but mostly it's about the players, right? The coaches and the culture and, and I think we're on our way and, but it, it's mostly about winning, right? The best brands are the ones that win and we can, we can do some things on the margin, but we may have, you know, 1% influence on how this brand is perceived where the players and the coaches have the other 99%. But I, I, I do believe that, that, you know, we're more relevant because we're more successful and all the other stuff that we do from a marketing perspective or a brand perspective wouldn't mean anything if the players didn't play the way they play. Right. And Pierre alluded to Don Cherry. And of course, what we're, we're talking about is the, the, the storm surge, the post-game celebration. And, you know, I, I got to see it uh, uh, up close. I didn't quite understand the duck hunting one the other night until uh, Justin Falk explained to me that, you know, hunting is pretty big in the South. So, okay, I, I, I get it now. But um, the response from both the players and the fans, like no one leaves the building, right? People are staying right to the end because they want to see what's going to happen in the celebration. There's a real you know, a, a bond that I think has been forged between the players and the fans that may not have existed, certainly at this level uh, in the recent past. And I, I wonder when, when you, when they started to do it, what your impression was and, and how you feel about it, because it has become a talking point. And I wonder what your thought is on it. Um, you know, given what Don Cherry said, Brian Burke has been critical of the, uh, of the, the post-game celebrations. I wonder what your take is on it. I mean, obviously, I love it. I, I, uh, I'm very appreciative that they came up with it. They do it, and it's even better that I think they like it. And I, you know, the way it's easy to judge this, right? If the players and the fans are all smiling and people are anticipating it and talking about it, 
then, you know, it's hard for me to find anything negative. I think the only negative is I'm, I don't, I, I think it may be a little pressure for these guys to keep coming up with this thing. I think that that may be the most negative thing I can come up with all the rest of the, you know, you're never going to make everyone happy. Right. So that, that shouldn't be any, if your goal in life is to make everyone happy, life's going to be hard. So I, I, I'm, I'm not too focused on that, but um, yeah, I think I, I'm worried about how much time and energy they're going to have to put in to keep one up in themselves because like forgetting just the idea that they do it, which was really fun, you know, did it the first time and just, just getting in the middle and doing the clap. It was pretty fun. And that's what I thought it was. I thought it was a great idea. Now that they've, they've added some twists to it. Um, you know, the quality of their production is actually really good. And so I don't know where that's coming from. <laughs> yeah. It, it, and, it, and it has touched an nerve. I mean, it's not, it's not only Don Cherry that, has brought this up. I mean, but when he speaks, obviously, you know, he, he carries a big stick and people listen, but there are other people that are old school and, and that aren't big fans of it, but that's okay. I mean, you know, point of the point of creating a buzz, I think Tom is, is, is just that it's, it doesn't have to be everyone agreeing with what you guys are up to. It's the fact that people are talking about it. I think is half the battle. And, um, you know, even having players on other teams that have, that after a win in your building have kind of, you know, done the old thing after the game as well. I think it was Lindholm from, from Calgary, but, but that's all part and parcel with, with us literally talking about it. Don't you think? I mean, I mean the, the, the fact sure. that, you know, the, the relevance of it all. Yeah. I mean, it's, look, you're, you're, you, you're never going to have success without criticism. It comes with it. You gotta, you, you have to be able to live with it. You, you end up, I'd rather have more success and get more criticism because of it than be irrelevant. And I think mm-hmm. that's our goal, right? Let's have some success and, and, you know, all this, all this doesn't matter if we're not as successful on the ice, but, you know, ultimately if a, if a, if a fan comes to a game and they pay their money and you have respect for the fact that, that, you know, people go to work and support a family and decide to spend their time and energy on you and your brand to, for anyone to ever think that doing something that brings that much enjoyment is bad that that's that's hard for me to understand i got old school new school traditional non-traditional at some point you're just ridiculous so you know if it makes people happy it's probably a good thing in life and i i think we'll probably stick with that for a while well i can i can tell you from the thanks to your crack pr staff here that you are closing in on sales of eleven thousand bunch of jerks t-shirts and uh, 50 states in, in the United States, Canada, Finland, China, Switzerland, uh, Netherlands, and the UK, uh, T-shirts have gone out there. So that's, um, I think that speaks to, to what you're talking about, that it, uh, you know, that's something that people understand is, is fun and that they're, they've, they've embraced it. Fans everywhere have embraced it. So, and then, and I can say this, I haven't bought them yet, but before I leave Raleigh, I'm going to get a couple of uh, bunch of jerks T-shirts as well. Might do a little Christmas shopping here, Pierre. You never know. You might get a bunch of jerks T-shirts <laughs> well, under no, your tree. That's the shirt. What I want is those retro Hartford Whaler shirts. And and uh, <laughs> you know, Tom, Tom, I think I I think I may have sent you a text, which uh, I think you ignored after the first Whalers retro night. But I, I, I suggested that you should bring back the Brass Bonanza as your permanent goal song. I, I just everyone who knows me on Twitter knows I love. Everything Whalers and everything Brass Bonanza, but uh, I, I found you out. Did it though? I, well, I yeah. know, I, I know, and 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 the thing is, I realized after some of those tweets that it it is a it seems to be a sensitive point with some of your fans in Carolina that not everyone's on board with reliving the Hartford days. I guess. 
<laughs> oh, I don't know. I mean, I could, you know, like I say, don't care. Like enough people <laughs> like it that we're going to do it. So I, That's... I, the vocal minority is just not, you, you can't go through life appealing to the vocal minority. It just, it just, just not a, it's not a good recipe for happiness. So yeah, I, if, if enough people like the jerseys, we're going to keep wearing them. And if not enough people like them, then we'd find something else that they might like. But all right. What um, just before we uh, we let you go, Tom? What what sort of priorities do do you have when you when you look long term or big picture with the Carolina Hurricanes? I know Pierre had uh, talked to you earlier in the week about Don Waddell, who holds a couple of posts uh, both on the business side and as the the GM of the team. Uh, I know you're looking at some possible changes to PNC Arena here. Um, what what's what would you what what are the goals? What are the priorities for you as you as you think beyond this year with this hockey team? probably the philosophy is just, just make good decisions, right? We've got a lot of young players that, you know, aren't getting an opportunity this year that I thought might, um, that, you know, hopefully they keep developing and we do the right thing in terms of how we run the business and make good decisions to where, you know, we're having these conversations more often than not. And I think, you know, that that's all we can do. I mean, everybody, everybody wants to win and, um, the odds of us winning a Stanley cup every year is zero is close to zero. I'm pretty sure. And so, but you know, if you could put yourself in a position where it's realistic every year, then, you know, that's the goal. Perfect. And it, we'd be remiss if I uh, didn't ask you before you went, Tom, uh, you know, about the, the playoffs, we touched on it briefly in my column this week, and I'm not trying to get you in, in the doghouse with the commissioner, but, but you are passionate about this <laughs> subject, and I know a lot of fans uh, reacting to my piece are in agreement with you. Not everyone. Again, that's what's interesting. It's a debate. Some want to keep it at 16, but can you, in a nutshell, you know, sort of explain why you, you'd love to see it expanded, uh, you know, in that quick best of three, you know, between 7, 10, and 8, 9 on each side? Yeah, well, you know, first of all, I want to, my priority would be it gets expanded. The idea that you, you and I've talked about a little bit is one idea. I don't know if it's the best idea, but it, mm-hmm. yeah, for me, it's, 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 I want to keep more teams engaged throughout the whole season. I believe that winning teams attract fans because it's fun to go watch people win. And so the regular season hasn't been relevant for Tampa Bay for a while because it's been obvious where they were going to end up. And, you know, people still care and people want to see winners. And so I don't, I don't agree that it devalues the regular season. And the, the best thing about what, you know, what's happened in hockey is every game's pretty much competitive and everybody can beat everybody. And so that makes the tournament or the playoffs, you know, there's a reason it's the best part of this league. So doing more of the best stuff is always, in my opinion, a good idea. And then it, you know, I think it makes the regular season much more compelling. More people are fighting to get in. Less people are maybe making decisions for the future. And, and uh, you know, that seems to be what we're supposed to do. Anecdotally, Tom, are you, do you get a sense that there, you know, is some or any momentum to to really, you know, sort of dig deeper on whether this is a possibility or what? Uh, what format might make the most sense? Do you, you know, whether it's other owners or I know I've talked to GMs who are, who, who believe exactly the same thing that that it drives interest and um, and that with thirty soon to be thirty two teams that that you can afford to to broaden the the playoff format and not dilute the the, the playoff 
product and, and still keep the regular seeming, season meaningful. Are, are you getting anecdotally a sense that there might be some momentum to, to really take a, a harder look at it? Yeah, see, I, I actually think that it makes the regular season more meaningful because in what Pierre and I have talked about, the first and second seed gain an advantage they don't currently have. Right. Mm-hmm. So they get to play somebody who's had a harder time. So the only the only disadvantage would be, you know, going into next year, if you don't know where you're going to finish, but if you happen to finish seventh or eighth, so if you can get a, you know, 20, 25% greater chance of the playoffs, but take the risk of finishing seventh or eighth, I think most people I've talked to would take that trade and most fan bases would definitely take that trade, I think. And so, look, there's, I, I, it's hard for me to know. I haven't spoken to anybody personally. Well, I've spoken to one person who doesn't agree that it's a good idea and that person's important. <laughs> um, but everyone else, everyone else seems to, seems to be, agree, but you know, I can't, I don't, I spend all my time with thinking about Carolina. I don't spend a lot of time thinking about everybody else. And so I wouldn't have, I'd be, you guys would know way more than I do about what, you know, the rest of the league would think. And you know, I'm not in a position to have much, much say here other than this is just what I think. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, and it, uh, it will be interesting to see, uh, you know, as we move forward, whether it's something that, you know, that uh, that gain gains some traction, and that, uh, uh, but it would, uh, it's going to be fun. But uh, I don't think you you don't need to worry about that, and I'm not putting the jinx on you. But uh, are you have you got a playoff wardrobe in mind? Are you a superstitious guy? Like, will you be? Are you thinking at thinking ahead to to what that might be like first game, uh, first playoff game in in a decade for this team? Not really. I know I, I wear the same thing every day, but um, no, I'm not. I'm not that superstitious. I've I've tried to stay stay away a little bit lately because you know my goal is figuring out what we can do. You know, I'm always trying to just figure out what can we do for the team. And right now, hopefully, we're smart enough to know that they got that. You know, there's not much to do, and they're gonna they're gonna have whatever success or failures they have based on all their preparation up to this point. So. Um, I've been trying to lay low and just watch. Yeah, well, if the season ended today, I think you'd be playing the defending Stanley Cup champion, so that would be fun in itself, Tom, I would think. That'd be a lot of buzz in, in your building. You for... could, I'd, <laughs> I'll take it. If you, today, I'd take it. If we could shorten the season and just print it, I'll be happy. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, that sounds good, but you, your uh, staff have, uh, have been uh, terrific hosts, as they always uh, are when I come to Raleigh, so I, I appreciate that, and, and uh, we appreciate your time today. And uh, look forward to to catching up with you uh, down the road. Who knows in a playoff building, uh, either here in Raleigh or somewhere else. But uh, but thanks for for spending some time with us today. It's been fun. Awesome. Thanks for coming to our game. I hope I hope it's a good one. <laughs> All right. Take care, Tom. All right, Thank guys. you. Thank you. Bye. Yeah. Bye. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so what Pierre what are the if we if we factor in Gary Bettman's feeling on the playoff expansion scale of 1 to 10 that it might happen uh, can you go below 1 or cuz Gary's not really on for this right he doesn't uh, that's he doesn't think he's he's not on for this is at this stage no i, I mean you know last year I, I think i felt his full force of <laughs> of how he felt when i when i pulled all the gms around the league and had an overwhelming uh, number of GMs who supported expanding the playoff field, which is not shocking. I mean, obviously it's in every GM's interest, let's be honest, but I will tell you that it's not just about that. I mean, I think it's really about this league expanding 
it used to be 16 of 21 and now it's going to be 16 of 32 and see how it comes in in a couple of years. But as I've said a million times, there's two things that you have to be, to, to be wary of. One is that it's not a GM's issue. It's a board of governors issue. So that's really up to the owners of the world and specifically, and unfortunately for Tom Dundon, not, not really every owner is created equal. It's really about the executive committee. And, and, you know, that's a small group of owners that essentially run the sport and, and whatever they want is, is what's going to happen. So, you know, the key for a guy like Tom is, is really to, to, you know, to, to go to a Mark Chipman or Jeff Molson or, you know, anyone on that executive committee and, and to try and bring them on side. That's really the path to trying to convince Gary Bettman to change his mind. But the other factor in all this is the NHLPA. And we know that the, the league and the PA have had a lot of closed door meetings over the past few months. And, and they're hoping to somehow come up with a, a CBA extension without bloodshed uh, for the first time that, <laughs> that we can all remember. Right. And who knows if that's actually going to happen. But my point is the NHLPA has to sign off on the playoff format. And in fact, the current agreement, my understanding is the current agreement expires at the end of the season. Now there's no sense that the PA, you know, is looking to change it at this point anyway, maybe the timing isn't right. But my point is whether it's the way it actually works with the wild cards and all that, or the fact that more teams could be involved one day, I mean, that's something that the PA signs off on with the league. And so at some point in time, my suspicion has always been the reason Gary Bettman has been so strong publicly in his stance about all this is that he knows that behind closed doors, it's also something he has to negotiate with the players one day. Right. Yeah. And I, I thought Tom, you know, Tom uh, made the, the point for me, it's, you know, you if you add a, a layer and, and whether it's a, a you know a short like a play in with the the right nine ten or whatever it is <clears throat> but for me it's and I think we're, you know we've seen it and and you know we're going to see what happens with Tampa this year but you know the, for me the the issue of how do you reward your best teams over eighty two mm-hmm. games what benefit is there. And and really, with <clears throat> the way the system is now, there there really isn't one, right? I mean, there, no. and that's a, f- a function of how good the hockey is and how good the teams are. But if you're Tampa, you know, surely there's got you know, <laughs> you know, I don't know, I don't know what it is. Maybe you get you know five home games out of seven or whatever it is. But you know, Tampa's going to finish a country mile ahead of everyone else, and they could end up drawing the Pittsburgh Penguins in the first round. And you're like, well, okay, that's <laughs> I'm not. Is that a no? I, that a I, I, exactly, and and you know, that's why there'd be a double benefit, I think of the whole seven versus 10 and eight versus nine mini tournament. First yeah. of all, the, w- the way I would spin it to protect the, sanct- the sanctity of the 16 teams is to say that it remains 16 teams who make the playoffs. But before you set the 16 teams, you have a, a, a four day best of three between seven, 10, eight, and nine on each side. Yep. And then you come up with the final, uh, you know, what, what would it be? The final four teams, two on each side that get to play in the 16 team tournament. That's, right. that's the way I would sell it. I mean, I guess it's all semantics, but you're, you're literally talking about, you know, game one on the Sunday, the regular season ends on the Saturday night game one on the Sunday. And yeah, that quick, a turnaround too bad. You weren't good enough to be in the top six yeah. and you got to play the next day. And if it goes three, it goes right to, uh, let's say you play best of three Sunday, Monday, Day off Tuesday, game three Wednesday, your playoffs start Thursday if you make it in the 16th. Yep. And yeah, you're tired. You know what? Good, because the top seed that's playing you gets a break finally. I mean, yep. that's so, so that's, you know, this is what, you know, 
Tom Dunn and I were talking about a couple of days ago and what others have talked about as well. And I think that's the inherent point here is that that you're not only giving more teams a chance to at least taste a bit of the playoff life, but you're actually giving the top seeds a real advantage when it comes to playing seven and eight who might be running on fumes in the first round. Yeah, agreed. And I think that's the, you know, I mean, with all, you know, with all due respect to the, the way it is now, I mean, that there is, you know, the, the issue of the sanctity of the 82 game schedule is, is impaired by the fact that th- there isn't a benefit for having that ultimate success during the regular season. So I, mm-hmm. I'm with you on that. And there's, you know, people will go, oh, the season's already too long. Well, it's an easy fix because we, we just mandate that the uh, preseason schedule is, is no totally. more than four yeah. games let's say you know you just write it in right you, the players i'm sure would sign off on this in a heartbeat is you know the maximum number of preseason games you can play is is four some teams are playing seven or eight games it's ridiculous so yeah. you could carve out time at the at the beginning so that you're not you know that the playoffs don't drag even further i know this is another hot button issue for you my friend uh, the, the length of the yes. actual playoff season so well i mean the the, 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 the the yeah the counterpoint sort of everybody is is that yeah even preseason games are part of hockey-related revenue, which means that any shortening of the preseason does, in fact, take a bit of the money out of the pie for both the players and the owners. So there is that consideration. But I, I think it's worth it for the excitement and, and the end game here in terms of that best of three, uh, you know, play-in. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's still to this day, and I understand why it is, it's because of really U.S. Southern markets and you know, if Tom was still on with us, he'd probably cringe at this suggestion. But I, as you know, I, I would love not only the shortened preseason, but to start the regular season on September 20th instead of, you know, first or second week of October. And then you'd have the Stanley Cup would be wrapped up by May 31st. But it's just not going to happen in our lifetime for all kinds of reasons. Yeah. Um, all right. Um, I want to circle back to uh, the Canes and then uh, we'll talk some playoff hockey uh, in the second segment. So so don't go away. Um, and as always, we will return shortly with the second segment of Two Man Advantage, the podcast. So hang on. All right. Here we go. Scott Burnside, Pierre Lebrun back for the second segment, Two Man Advantage, the podcast. So I'm here in Raleigh and Pierre here. I'm sitting in the world famous media room at PNC Arena, and whenever <laughs> and whenever I come here, I am reminded of an impassioned speech you gave in this very room at the end of the <laughs> 2006 Stanley Cup Final. Do you remember you chastised the writers for having given Cam Ward the playoff MVP, the Smythe Trophy, who you felt should have gone to Chris Pronger? I've I've rarely seen sure. you as passionate as you were that night, and it was in this very room. So. Uh, yeah, and again, listen, and I, I'm a big Cam Ward fan, and, and he, of had course. Great, he had a great spring, but he had, in fact, shared the net at times. Uh, I think it was, was it Archie Survey? No, Cristobal Okay, yeah. I'm dating myself. Uh, and, and obviously, I mean, Pronger literally single-handedly brought that underdog Oilers team to the cup final, and it's just, <laughs> in a way, and not, not, not only have I voted on the Conn Smythe, since that day on, but I'm now in fact in charge of deciding who votes on it. So I think <laughs> everyone, ev- everyone kind of got scared by, uh, by my meltdown that night. Uh, you know, it's funny what I think about actually happened hours earlier is that on the more on the, uh, it was in the 5 PM hour in the pregame, I was having dinner in that media room uh, at the same table as Kevin Lowe, who was GM of the Oilers at the time. 
And right. obviously he's nervous. It's game seven. And, you know, we had a, you know, probably talked about the weather the entire time. But at the time, as it would later be revealed, but of course, none of us had any clue then. He already knew that Chris Pronger uh, had asked for a change of scenery and that he would need to trade Chris Pronger after the playoffs. Yeah. So ima- imagine, I, I just always remember thinking, man, can you imagine that Kevin Lowe knew that going into game seven and, you know, it's not, he's not going to tell anyone, but, you know, sort of the sense of dread that if we don't win the cup tonight, now I got to turn my attention to trading arguably the best, you know, one of the top three defensemen in the game at the time. And he would end up trading him to Anaheim, of course. Yeah, no, it's, and it's, you know, what, having, you know, I've been to, to, I was here in, uh, for training camp and, um, I covered that 2009, uh, playoff run or the part of it anyway, certainly the Eastern Conference final when they were swept by the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins, the Penguins on, en route to, to their, uh, first uh, Stanley Cup in the Sidney Crosby era. And uh, it, it, it still shocks me to think how long it has been for this team. The 10 years, it's, it's almost unfathomable to think, you know, uh, John, I was talking to John Forslund, the, the longtime broadcaster, didn't even realize this. He started as a PR guy with the Hart- Hartford Whalers and then moved with the franchise when they came. Uh, and it's one of the great uh, um, play-by-play guys in the business, does a lot of national work. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, of course, called that game. And, and I, he said, we've lost an entire generation of fans here between playoff uh, appearances. Right. And it's, it's shocking. You know, Jordan Stahl, who's such an important part of this team here, was across the way. Uh, I talked to Matt Cullen yesterday, who was back with the Pittsburgh Penguins. He was part of this Carolina team. And, of course, Rod Brindamore was playing nearing the end of his stellar career. Mm-hmm. And now... I think he's coached his way into what should be a spot on the on the Jack Adams ballot at the end. I, I, Ooh, and it's, it's going to be hard. Yeah, I, I mean he, he's he's certainly deserving. Uh, you know, I asked Barry Trotz about the Jack Adams last week, and of course uh, he joked that well, he didn't joke. He, the guy's so humble. He had himself eighth in the running, <laughs> um, and he, uh, he he did seriously think that John Cooper should win, um, but. You know, he did mention Rod Brindamore and Rick Tockett were prominent among the other names that he had mentioned. So the thing is, you can only get three finalists, of course. Trotz is a given, right? Yeah. I I think John Cooper has to be a given. How how can he not be when they're lapping the field? Yeah, no, I'm with you. I think he is. So then you're down to Tockett or Brindamore, I guess, right? Well, or Bill Peters. We talked about, you know, I mean, how. I mean, mean, if the halves make it, Claude Julian is going to get some love, too, deservedly. Yeah, no, there's no question. Um, but so when you look at this Canes team, we, we talked about them, you know, in the preseason and have, having been here uh, during training camp and so many changes here. And, and Tom Dundon's create, you know, he's he is a bit of a oh, he's a bit of an outlier when it comes to the ownership groups. Mm-hmm. You know, when you when you look around the NHL, I mean, are, are you surprised by what the Canes have accomplished? I, I know they haven't. They're going to the playoffs, right? They're not. They're they're too good. And Oh man, you're you're, nice you're really you are putting really them pushing in. your luck. You're I'm really putting them in the bracket. If they miss the playoffs, you will never be invited to rally again. <laughs> like you'll be <laughs> true. It's dead true. to them. Here, I will say um, this. No, I I, I, will say I think they they're could in even, too. Yeah. yeah, and they could now, even get home ice advantage. So there you go. Uh, well, I was going to say they could certainly catch Pittsburgh and finish third. Uh, Penguins aren't playing that great right now. But um, anyway, yeah, yeah and I, I know it's funny. We would go back to that Edmonton Carolina Cup final. The Oilers, of course have only made the playoffs once since that cup final. And 
have had all kinds of misery. So it's weird. Eh? Those two teams from the old five Oh six, uh, cup final from the cup final. Crazy. Um, no, I, I you know, listen, I, I think, you know, Car- Carolina is going to be a handful. It always comes down to one thing with teams like that, that have to sort of probably exceed who they are, be, be beyond the sum of their parts. They're going to need unbelievable goaltending. I think to, to go deeper than people think they can go. And, you know, Peter Morazic's been really good, and Curtis McElhinney is a great story. But I think that's probably when you look at everything else, and their metrics are good. They they always have the puck. They're you know they're getting enough scoring. But at the end of the day, and they got that excellent blue line. Are they going to get enough saves? Right? I mean, when don't you think that's where it comes down to with them? Yeah, there's no question. In fact, I, I was uh, talking to Peter Morazic this morning, um, and such. And he and uh, I've been here for a few days, and so I was spent some time with Curtis McElhinney as well, and two different personalities uh, Razik is wildly outgoing and very emotional and Curtis McElhaney is more you know sort of uh, older more staid laid back and but they've both been you know off the charts good and and in a way that I don't think a lot of people would have anticipated and you and you're right and Peter Razik his stretch of play he uh, he was in in goal for the game the other night uh, they beat uh, Pittsburgh in the shootout uh, trailed scored late Justin Williams the great captain scoring uh, late to tie Peter Morazic was the, he saved that game. Both he and Matt Murray were unbelievable. Like it was a terrific game to watch. And both those guys were really good, but Morazic has, you know, he's sort of established himself now as the, as the go-to guy. My guess is he would be the starter in game one of the playoffs. Um, and if he keeps playing like this, yeah, I think they're, you know, who knows, but you're, you're right. There's the goaltending is, you know, it's always, it's the same, right? If Matt Murray isn't playing well in Pittsburgh, they're, they're going to be done in a hurry. Uh, Freddie Anderson's going to have to play better than he's been playing lately. If Toronto's going to be, uh, you know, a team uh, that is to be reckoned with that uh, you can, you can go through all the playoff teams, but mm-hmm. I think it's especially true here. So, um, and, and I'm going to segue myself because when we talk about Curtis McElhaney, um, you know, he, he ended up here because the Leafs, Put him on waivers. In fact, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken, on October fourth, I believe. Yes, two two goalies left the Leafs on the same day. Calvin Picard as well. As well, did they not both go on waivers on the same day and both were Yes, claimed? it was on the eve of the NHL season. It might might have been October third, either October third, October fourth. And I'll tell you why I remember it is I was standing on a sidewalk in Manhattan in the middle of the uh, Seattle ownership scrum after they got the uh, the. Uh, the stamp of approval from the executive committee, once again, the powerful executive committee of, uh, of the board of governors, which would eventually set up their yes vote for the December board of governors meeting. But anyway, in the middle of that scrum, my phone went off and the Leafs lost two goalies that day on waivers, both McElhaney to Carolina and Calvin Pickard to Philly. Now, since then Calvin Pickard has left Philly, but you know, McElhaney, that's the story here because Mike yeah. Babcock really liked McElhaney and McElhaney had an outstanding season as a number two last year behind Freddie Anderson. Babcock trusted him. And, you know, for Garrett Sparks, it's been an up and down year as the backup in Toronto. So that's certainly not gone unnoticed, although he was certainly terrific last night as the Leafs beat the Sabres in Buffalo. Well, and I, that's why I wanted to ask you. I mean, this is, it's been, it has been an ugly stretch for the Leafs and it's not all the goaltending, but I think it, there has been now a lot of discussion about how this team is constructed. Did Kyle Dubas, who's I think has had a pretty terrific run uh, as a new GM, you know, with the Nylander uh, um, 
contract and Austin Matthews extension and um, signing John Tavares, of course, all those things. But it, it, this team looks uh, adrift now. And so it has prompted uh, some, you know, second guessing and some discussion about the, the construct mm-hmm. of that lineup. I wonder, it, like, are you, you know, it's... They're locked in. They've been locked into a playoff spot for weeks. They've basically been locked into a first round, round matchup with Boston for weeks, given the way the Atlantic has unfolded. Mm-hmm. Are you, if you, if you, what's your sense of, of, of that being in Toronto and, and the level of angst? And is it justified or is it, hey, better to have it now than in three weeks, right? In the middle of April. Yeah. I mean, listen, I, I think it's a bit overblown, but at the end of the day, it's, it's become a story. Because, you know, Mike Babcock himself and his media scrums has dropped a couple of lines, right? <laughs> About, I think one of them was the lack of depth because of all their injuries now. And, and people have taken that and, and, and twisted it into a direct shot at, at Kyle Dubas. I don't know that that's really at that level. But, but uh, you know, let's deal with fact. I mean, the fact is Kyle Dubas didn't hire Mike Babcock as his head coach. And that doesn't have to mean anything negative, but it, it is a fact, right? I mean, Brendan Shanahan hired Mike Babcock for sure. Even even before Lula Morello became Leafs GM. Um, you know, my understanding is Babcock and Dubas talk almost every day, which is important to note. It's not like they've gone in isolation on each other and but you know, do they view the game the exact same way? I, I don't know. It's hard to say. Neither one is, you know, gonna venture into that with us. Um, so that's why this story has, has gained a little traction, but I do think it's, it's a bit overblown. I mean, um, you know, one thing people should remember, and if we had Ken Holland here on the podcast with us, he would, he would, I think would attest, but you know, Mike Babcock was in Ken Holland's kitchen at times when he was in Detroit, right? I want that player. I want this, I want that. And, you know, Ken had to sort of calm him down is my interpretation of how things would go sometimes in Detroit on, on those powerhouse teams. So I, I think you're, you're also dealing with a, a real alpha personality of Mike Babcock, who is strong in his conviction, knows what he likes, knows what he believes is a good player. And, and when you pay a coach that kind of money, as we said from the get-go, when he chose Toronto over Buffalo, he's going to have a say, he's going to have a, a big stick uh, in terms of, of his opinion in that organization. And, and that's what he has. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, it shouldn't be a surprise to anyone, right? Like it's not, it's not like Mike Babcock has suddenly changed his personality, right? I mean, this is, this is who he is. It's why he's mm-hmm. you know, won Olympic golds. It's why he's a Stanley cup champion. It's why, you know, it is what it is, but it is, it is going to be fascinating. And well, so let me ask you then as, as a question, what if, what if, first of all, what's your, What's your take on Toronto Boston right now, given where these two teams are at? Who wins that series? Yeah, I'm I'm gonna pick the Bruins. You know, it's funny, two months ago I, I, I was feeling good about the Leafs chances, and I just the injuries on the blue line concern me, although certainly either one or both might be back and Travis Durbin and Drake Gartner, we don't know that yet. Right. But it, it it you know, even when healthy, that's still the Achilles heel of that team. And you know, if Jake Gardner isn't hundred percent or I don't know, it, it really gives me pause for thought. And, and, and not to mention the fact that the Bruins without when David Pasternak was out their their most dynamic offensive star didn't miss a beat. I mean, and, and the Bruins also had injuries earlier this year on their blue line. The Bruins have never let injuries slow them down this year. And, and the reality is injuries have slowed Toronto down. And so I, I just, 
and maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I, I just feel again, it's going to be Boston. We'll see. I mean, yeah. I, I would also say this, I mean, you know, I think a lot of Leaf fans are panicking because the way the team has played this month, there have been teams in the past that have, that have really been awful in March, but then when the light went on come playoff time, it's a different season. So I always think you got to be careful to read too much into how a regular season ends when a team has nothing to play for. I mean, really, right. Toronto's been locked into third forever. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. I, I just think it, it is going to be it's going to be fascinating to see how how that plays out. So, um, all right, what else? What else? Um, we got you know most teams now are in that eight nine games left. Uh, what what's what's the big storyline for you? Down this in the next two and a half weeks. It's, I mean, I can't wait, right? The playoffs are yeah, right around the I, corner. It's, it's exciting. I'll tell you one story I think is I'm not so sure Vegas isn't the team to beat down the Pacific. Uh, like, I, I, I'm telling you, you watched that team play since they acquired Mark Stone. And, you know, they beat San Jose the other night. And listen, the Sharks can be a lot better than they were that night. But, you know, what would you say Vegas has that you feel most comfortable about that Calgary and San Jose perhaps you're not quite sure about? Oh, not going to take you long to answer that, is it? No, no. He's and Mark Andre Fleury's a little bit banged up, but it's and it's good actually. You know, Malcolm Subban's been he's actually found a, a little bit of traction or a little bit of a groove, which you know because he hasn't played mm-hmm. very much and he didn't you know struggle to to collect some wins. But he's been. I think this is an important time for him, and I know that the Gerard Gallant and that staff they the last thing they'll be doing is rushing Mark Andre Fleury back in. So um, I don't get there's the sense that there's anything serious, but uh, yeah, I mean they're the goal. Tending, I, I think it's fair to 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 say that you you'd have Flurry ahead of uh, Calgary and San Jose, and and frankly, you know it's you know when you look at Nashville or Winnipeg, boy, it'd be hard not to have Flurry at the top of that that group overall in the Western Conference. I think in terms of okay, who's who's mm-hmm. who's a guy who can can carry you through not just the first round, but maybe a deep run into a conference final or a Stanley Cup final again. So I'm I'm, well, I'm with well, you on that. And, and, you know, I don't know if it's coincidence or not, and I want to be careful not to overplay this, but, you know, Stone gets to Vegas and they just never lose, basically. I, I mean, I, I think they've lost once, but, you know, he, he's on a second line. Imagine Mark Stone on a second line. And the funny thing is, you know, I don't have the numbers in front of me to back it up, but I'm telling you that William Carlson top line, ever since Stone arrived, it's like they took it as a personal challenge to – Raise right. their own game. I, I, honestly, they they're back to playing the way they were every, every night last year. I find, and so it just feels like just his arrival, his his acquisition has sparked that whole team in all kinds of different ways. And um, uh, you know, we had George McPhee on on this podcast at the GM meetings. You were not on that podcast, Scotty. That's it. Way uh, to bring that up. Just and, getting over and, that, by the way. And and all I can tell you is the the face that. George McPhee made when we talked about Mark Stone's acquisition says it all. Like it, it, it just, it, it is so momentous to add that kind of player and have him for the next eight years. And uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I mean, the importance for Calgary and San Jose to finish first in that division. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Like, well, wow. Yeah. 
Well, in San Jose, you know, there, as we're chatting here, there are three points behind the, the Flames with nine games to go each. Joe Pavelski's banged up in San Jose. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it, you're absolutely right because Vegas is, you know, they, you know, they're locked into to third. Doesn't matter to them. They're, they're, they're fine on the road. Um, and, and I think to your point on Mark Stone, and we talked a lot about this at the, at the trade deadline is that sometimes impact players, there's, there's always the excitement when an impact player is acquired by a team, but often it takes a long time, right? It takes a long time right. because so many ripple, uh, the, the, the domino effect of putting in a, a guy in your top six and who's expected to, you know, he logs a power play time, all the stuff that goes with an impact player like Mark Stone. And sometimes it takes a long time and sometimes it doesn't fit, right? Like it's sometimes it just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've seen that around, the, I think Wayne Simmons scored his first goal for the Predators and, and ended a long goalless drought for, for him. So it's taking Wayne Simmons a while in Nashville. Um, you know, look around the NHL at some of the other, um, uh, high profile players, but, but your point is an excellent one. Marston has just stepped in and has changed. just, it's, he, you couldn't have scripted it any better. Um, if you were George McPhee now, you know, the, the proof will be in, in April, but I'm with you. I, I, I look at that team now and, and they are going to be an absolute handful and they know what to do. So I, I just think it's going to be that first round, whether it's San Jose or Calgary playing Vegas, that's going to be, that will be must view playoff watching. That's for sure. No question. And, you know, uh, Captain Obvious here, but, you know, the added benefit is not just to avoid Vegas in the first round if you win the Pacific. But, you know, much like Tampa Bay, I think, took advantage of the fact that it was Boston-Toronto last year in the first round while they sort of cakewalked over New Jersey. The added benefit, like the Leafs and the Bruins going a hard seven games, is is just that. Is, is is if you're Calgary or San Jose and you win the Pacific, then you hope that two and three demolish each other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then you you somehow escape the first round uh you know in, in, in an easier fashion. That's that's the whole setup here. And it's man, it's I can't think of a single division that's more important to win right now, to be quite honest, than than the Pacific. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you on that as well. And, and um, it looks like whoever wins the Pacific will have the top seed uh, in the Western Conference right now. Calgary's got 97. They're five points ahead of Winnipeg. So I think whoever wins the Pacific is going to be that top seed in the Western Conference. And, you know, with, uh, with all due respect to Arizona or Minnesota or Colorado or oh, I'm not maybe. OK, I'll, I'll throw Chicago in there. Right. They're four points back. So, Mm -hmm. you know, really those teams, whoever ends up as a second wild card in the West, you know, that you talk about having a reward that is in paper on paper in theory, that's a good reward for your, for, for whether it's Calgary or San Jose, because, you know, there should be a a pretty big gap in the talent Mm -hmm. uh, pool between one and uh, one and eight in the Western conference. So, but, but one thing that it does, by the way, because you always have this debate at this time of year, and really, the debate should only reside in Tampa. I don't know that anyone else really has the, you know, the right to really even think about this. But the whole debate about resting players or not, yeah. And and you you, you can't if you're Calgary or San Jose. I mean, I mean, winning the division is as important as winning a playoff series almost right now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yes, it's, uh, yeah. it's like if you're at seventy percent and you're a player, you're in. Like you need to clinch first place, and uh, so it's pretty it's pretty good theater. Yeah. 
Do it's what your what your gut tell you. I, I I think Calgary. I mean, it's easy to say, right? They got a three three point lead as we speak. Sharks are a little bit banged up. I I think it's Calgary that ends up in top in in the Pacific. Do you, are, are you with me? There? I predict the Sharks come back. I Ooh, predict the Sharks win the division. Yeah, based oh. on nothing. based yeah. on absolutely nothing. <laughs> but uh, but I, I don't like agreeing with you. So yeah. Now and, and the lightning. My sense on the lightning. By the way, uh, I sort of checked into that this week. But I think John Cooper wants. I think he feels it's important to to have his team stay sharp. Uh, and in particular, you know, what I was really inquiring about was Vasilevsky, and um, you know, I think that obviously Louis Domingue is going to get some games. Yeah. But I think they want to keep Vasilevsky sharp. And I, of course, after making 54 saves against Washington, uh, that's quite the workout already from last night. But but I think, you know, Tampa wants to be careful not to just, you know, take a seat here for the last few games. And, you know, listen, guys are banged up. Of course, they're going to sit some guys out, I think. But I also think they want to go into the playoffs keeping their mojo. So that'd be an interesting one to watch. Well, and you know, you referenced a game uh, earlier this week between Tampa and Washington, a, a reprise of the uh, Eastern Conference Final last year, which of course uh, went seven games, covered that uh, series myself, and uh, what a titanic! You know, for two teams that are, you know, I mean, Washington's uh, battling with the Islanders for first place. Uh, so I'm, I'm not going to say that, that you know there wasn't something on the line, but that had all the feel of of a conference final and. Boy, uh, that uh, you know, with all due respect to, to everyone else in the East, boy, if, if those two teams uh, find their way back to a, a second straight uh, conference final, th- there is no love lost there, and uh, it was it was a fun game to watch and had a real playoff feel. Sort of whets the appetite for for what might lie ahead. And I wonder what you made of that. Yeah, I think the Caps are really finding their game at the right time too. Watch out, I, I, they've got a real chance to repeat. You know, as cup champion, depending on thing, things play out here. Um, but, you know, Tampa won that game despite getting massively outchanced and outshot. And that's the story of their season at times is that it's not like they overwhelm people every night, although they have most nights. But on the nights, this is why they have <laughs> this is why they have 118 points as we record this. The nights where they don't have their A game, they still come out on top. I mean, yeah. they find different ways to beat you. They have four different lines that can score. They have a loaded blue line. They have arguably the Vesna trophy uh, front runner. And so on the nights where maybe they're at 65%, they, they can pull out a five, four win. So it's, man, that's why they're, they're so unbelievable this year. Yeah. Plus 97 goal differential. It is, <laughs> it's unbelievable. <laughs> It's unbelievable. Oh, so. All right, my friend. Well, I'm, uh, in spite of the fact that you referenced the podcast, uh, when you and Craig shut me out. Uh, I'm, uh, I've enjoyed our chat today. And yeah, uh, it was a good one. It's good. Always good. I'm getting, uh, I'm getting jazzed up for the playoffs. So looking forward to it. So, uh, we'll do it again next week. And, uh, that's it. That's all I got for you. Right on brother. Well, listen, uh, I heard you had a nice cigar last night in rally. I hope you enjoyed that. <laughs> I didn't need it. I got fun. spies everywhere, man. I got <laughs> spies. Good stuff, my friend. All right. Well, I'll uh, I'll be uh, uh, I'll be going by your um, the uh, Pierre Lebrun special plaque uh, here where you made your speech back in 06. <laughs> so, 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 sure I treat it with the respect it deserves. So, all right, we'll do it again next week, my friend. Right on, right on, brother. Okay. <laughs>